sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, the adventure continues. Life goes on day after day, week after week. Uh, the pages on the calendar turn. Uh, life. I, wh- what's happening, uh, Aaron, in your life right now? Any big transitions happening in the porterhouse? Transitions. Uh, yeah, three things come to mind. Daughter left for California for three months, so I'm Boy. down one kid. Okay. Uh, and she's going to prom with her friend on Friday. I got to Ooh. see the dress. I, I don't know what the theme is, but they're dressing as fairy elves with gowns and taking a limousine there she's getting the she's getting the experience she's a homeschool gal my son goes to public school she's homeschooled but she gets to go with her friend uh who's a girl there's no like she doesn't have to deal with like all that boy girl dynamic she's just gonna Uh go and have a good time it's so great nice youngest son getting his license tomorrow morning Uh, oh man okay and uh and I am realizing that I have a cycle. Um, sorry, that felt very menstrual all of a sudden. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so my son has one week left of school. Uh-huh. And I am dying trying to work. And I realized I am exactly like I was in those last weeks of oh, high school. Oh, remember the last and, weeks of oh, school. Yes, yeah. except with that. It was glorious anxiety because it was coming. Whereas mm. once he gets into summer, I'm still going to be doing the same shit I'm doing now. Uh, so there's nothing good coming at the end of this. There's no payoff. Yeah. But but man, I just, the last couple days, I just yeah. wake up dragging. It is so mm. hard to work. I want to do anything uh. but work. And I, I realized I do this every year and I haven't been in high school or had a vacation from college for decades yeah it's been close to 30 years what's wrong with me wow well i'm old enough that i've got a grandson uh who graduated from college this last weekend actually the second a grandson to graduate from college wow so yeah did you did you go was it local oh of course oh yeah yeah uh he was at lipscomb in uh nashville oh i didn't know he's at lipscomb yeah yeah uh, he was actually in the film program with one of our previous guests, Steve Taylor. Wait, and, was that the uh, one? That wasn't the one that I drove in the car with, was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is sweet that, guy. Yeah. yeah, I like yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Very so, cool. So yeah, graduated from the film pro- film program there at Lipscomb. So we did that, and uh, yeah, and and life goes on, and it's it's a it's a you know what. I just feel grateful, Aaron, to be present in my own life, far more present than I was for so many decades of active addiction. And even as my self-awareness grows, as I become more emotionally present, you know, if we move past sobriety into kind of emotional health, I still wouldn't call myself a model of emotional health, but I'm a hell of a lot healthier than I was even just a few years ago. I'm just so grateful to be here and be involved and to be tasting it day after day. Mm, And even though it can sometimes be painful that our life is not as linear as it feels so much as it is cyclical, where we get Mm -hmm. to revisit the same things. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, like with grandkids, we get to revisit stuff that we have a lot of pain in our past and we get Mm -hmm. to experience doing it differently and feeling differently. And that's yeah. a beautiful gift. Yeah. Hey, we've got a guest coming up who has a lot of wisdom to share about uh, emotions and about uh, spiritual and emotional health. This is a special conversation. Listeners, uh, you're going to want to pay close attention to this one when we return on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are so privileged to have with us as our guest this week, Dr. Craig Cashwell. Uh, Craig's a professor in the Counselor Education Program at William & Mary, where he coordinates the doctoral program. He's been a professional counselor for 31 years and an educator for 29. He's licensed in North Carolina as a clinical mental health counselor and in Virginia as a licensed professional counselor. He's also a national certified counselor, an approved clinical supervisor, and a life member of the Chi Sigma Iota International, the Honor Society for Professional Counselors. In 2011, he received fellowship status with the American Counseling Association, a fellow fellow status. Uh, uh, The primary focus of Dr. Cashwell's research is the competent and ethical integration of client spirituality and religion into the counseling process. He's the co-editor of Integrating Spirituality and Religion into Counseling, A Guide to Competent Practice, which was published by the American Counseling Association and is now in its third edition. He's also interested in religious and spiritual coping, and in particular, psychologically unhealthy processes, including spiritual bypass and religious abuse, topics on which he's written extensively. Dr. Cashwell has over 140 publications, including three books, and has received research awards from the American Counseling Association and the Mississippi Counseling Association. Dr. Cashwell, thank you so much Man, for joining us. That was the most welcome to the podcast. The most well-crafted introduction that you came up with off the top of your head I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. Yeah, I wrote it just minutes ago. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I wish I, I wish I knew that guy. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Welcome, Craig. I'm so impressed. Well, thanks. Uh, uh, you know, the, the truth of that is I'm old and neurotic, so um, uh, but <laughs> I've, I've been fortunate to do what I do for a long time. So that's really what that speaks to. And I'm grateful for that. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. How, I mean, just listening to, trying to encapsulate all of those words that, that Nate said, how did you get to the point that you wanted to help people connect healthy spirituality or come to discover how unhealthy spirituality was not helping clients find healing. Yeah, well, like everything else, it's a journey, right? So I grew up mm-hmm. in a in a religious community that I would uh, probably not choose to attend today. I uh, mm-hmm. had to go through kind of that deconstruction process that many of us do. And so fascinated by this interplay between psychological well-being and spirituality. Mm-hmm. So how does, how does a healthy spirituality support our um, mental health? Uh, and I think it does. I think the research is compelling that it does. But, you know, over a century ago, Freud also said that, you know, religion was the opiate of the masses. Mm-hmm. Um, and there could be some truth in that, too, because a toxic or an unhealthy spirituality can really um, hinder people's uh, sort of optimal living, if you will, or, or, or um, optimal uh, mental health. So it's just fascinated me. So, you know, I get I get paid to, to kind of wander around in this world of ideas and research and I do a, um, have a part-time practice as well, so I hear these stories from clients, and that, that makes them come alive in ways that textbooks can't. So can um, we can we yeah. start with the positive side, with that yeah. Freud quote that gets thrown out as like, and so, yeah. because of this, there there is no positivity to this. I mean, that's thrown out as just a blanket statement to say, you're deluding yourselves, but you're happy because you're delusional. And those who would usually throw it out are saying, and I live in the truth as painful as it may be. Yeah. And I think that's not a complete idea. So what's the positive side to the spiritual uh, life and formation of an individual to their mental health and well-being? Yeah. So, you know, I'm at heart, I'm a trauma counselor, right? So I work with with people who've experienced trauma in their lives. And, and the reality is we're coming to, you know, 25, 30 years ago, we thought it was just the veterans coming home from downrange. Now we kind of know, mm-hmm. no, most of us have some trauma, how complex mm-hmm. it is, how early it got started, what it looks like, how it affected us, th- if it affected us, those, those are the variables in, in the equation. And so what we've absolutely learned and know to be true about healing trauma is that you have to be able to um, feel it at a level that's manageable. You have to mm-hmm. be able to step into those memories. Um, you have there. There is a healing process. You know, it's it's probably too much to talk about 
together tonight, but there's a process that involves not avoiding it. And yet the most natural thing in the world is it hurts like hell. So you want to avoid it. Mm-hmm. And spiritual bypass is just one way that you can avoid it. Addictions can do it. Um, any yes. kind of, any kind of sort of, you know, the, all the process addiction, shopping, gaming, gambling, pornography, there are just lots of ways to numb out and not feel the pain. But spirituality can be one of those. So I think what Freud was saying without, we didn't have the word spiritual bypass in, in Freud's day, but I think that's what he was saying was if you're in spiritual bypass, you're, you're taking an opiate, right? You are, you are numbing yourself from the totality of your reality, some of which is beautiful and amazing and some of which is painful and just sucks. So um, it, it's, it's, that's kind of how I think about that. So when I think about a healthy spirituality, it actually gives us the courage to face our journey holistically, like wholeheartedly, like stepping into the messiness of it. And, and I don't know about you guys, I don't live there all the time. I wish I did. It's aspirational. But um, mm-hmm. to me, that's, that's what uh, healthy spirituality is like as a, in contrast to this idea of spiritual bypass, right? So, mm. so it can give a, f- a framework and anchors through which we enter into the hard work versus uh, platitudes by which we avoid the hard work. Yeah, that's right. Platitudes are very much involved in this, and it's the exit, right? It's the exit from our lives, from from all of our lives. Yeah, that's what and I said. It, and it doesn't have to be uh, religious or specifically Christian. I mean, I'm thinking about any group that has platitudes, hell, 12-step can provide a way to spiritually bypass your own addiction recovery, can it? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I wrote a paper years ago about how spiritual bypass shows up at different levels of step work, right? So how it can be when spirituality can be misused. So absolutely. G- give, yeah. us a f- give us a few examples of that so we can start to understand the one that the one that comes up for me, like one one attribute of um, spiritual bypass is compulsive goodness. Um, mm-hmm. And so you, you'll see people who will um, uh, do the, uh, you, you may have heard the expression, doing the steps one, two, three, twelve. Because um, mm-hmm. right. four, four through ten are kind of messy. They're kind of hard work, and they're psychologically um, involved, and they're painful. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, okay, I'm powerless. My life is unmanageable. Turn turn it over to da-da-da-da. Now I'm going to serve other people. Yeah. And that's really only kind of looking at the spiritual aspects of that. And so the service is not an integrated part of recovery. It's actually a way to avoid, you know, step four, step five, step six. So it really kind of helps you avoid the work. That's one that we see a lot. Um, and so to me, that, uh, that compulsive goodness um, is, shows up a lot in 12-step rooms, right? I'm going to take care of everybody else in the room so I don't have to look in the mirror uh, is the way that I see that show up. What are you, what are you thinking about that, Nate, from your experience? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, we called that two-stepping back in my 12-step days. And yeah, I mean, I was selling recovery long before I owned it and, uh, you know, out there trying to save people without ever wanting to do the work myself, certainly. Uh, and that led to three years of constant relapse until finally the pain was great enough that I was, you know, and, and I felt safe enough, safe enough to actually begin the hard work of Four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, yeah. What are some other forms of spiritual bypass? I, uh, you know, I grew up uh, in, and let's just say, enthusiastic religion, emotional religion. Uh, I do know, and now I'm uh, part of a religious tradition that is highly intellectual, and I've seen there are lots of ways around life's difficulties, emotional ways and intellectual ways. Uh, <laughs> can you give us some more examples of you know, kind of what our options are if we really want to avoid the work and we go to church for help yeah, in avoiding yeah. the work? Well, I want, to, I want to go back to a question Aaron asked earlier. Yeah, I think this shows up in a lot of different, it shows up across religions. We've got some evidence that this is, the, 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 the term was actually coined originally about uh, Buddhist meditators, right? It was a oh, Buddhist, oh. Buddhist meditation teacher who was watching these meditators going, I think they're bypassing something. I think there's some oh, psychological yeah. work that they're skipping. So it actually started, the term started in Buddhism and mm-hmm. has picked up and has been most um, uh, largely researched among Christian populations. It's also been um, researched among Muslims, among mm-hmm. Hindus. So it, it cuts across Eastern and Western religions. Um, so yeah, it seems, unfortunately, it seems pretty ubiquitous. 
But um, I think, you know, one that comes up for me, Nathan, in response to your question is that um, uh, what we do with our emotional life, and you were asking about the emotions, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, right now, for example, I'm working on a book chapter on uh, spiritual bypass and grief. Um, and boy, oh. does it show up a lot in the grief process, right? If you think, um, yeah. uh, 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 you know, this idea of platitudes that you mentioned earlier, right? It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, boy, you talk about a place where platitudes get offered, right? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I often will use the example of when my father died. It's been about 23 years now, but we had this god-awful thing called a receiving line, you know, where a bunch of oh, people yeah. that I didn't know were going to offer their condolences. And, yeah. and I heard some of the stupidest stuff I've ever heard in my life. Um, yeah. You know, the, well, you know, you shouldn't be sad because he's in a better place, whatever mm-hmm. you believe theologically, right? Don't mm-hmm. be sad. What you're really yeah. saying is you're not comfortable with my sadness, so you're going to tell me not to be sad, right? I think that's yeah. the real message uh-huh. there. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was sad, right? Like, I, you know, again, theologically, do you believe that? Well, okay, even if I do, I'm sad because he's not here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or he's, he's, um, he's not suffering anymore. You should rejoice because he's not suffering anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so telling me what I should and shouldn't feel in the grief process, which we know psychologically is not helpful, right? And validating my sadness, my pain, my sorrow, my loss, psychologically, that does not help. Um, and heaven forbid, I should be angry at God for taking him or whatever, right? There would be a Mm -hmm. lot of people who would really kind of. Yeah. um, Let's, let's, let's close the book of Psalms when we start to consider any permission yes. to be angry with God. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Because, okay. it's, because it's uncomfortable, yeah, for people. I, I want to come back to grief. I don't want to talk anymore about that just yet. Okay. But I want to throw something out to you uh, that I experienced uh, probably in my late 20s with a fellow I was working with who was super smart and super well-read. And he had a lot of childhood just chaos. There was definitely trauma there. Yeah. And we would try to talk about it week after week. And if this was like the ground level of his story, like here's mm-hmm. here's the trail. Yeah. He would pop up to 15,000 feet with, but I know God. And then he would have these deep theological things hover over the trail. So he never walked on it and then drop in on the other side. Yeah. And I did not at that time have any awareness of, I don't even know when spiritual bypass became a thing that people were aware of. I wasn't aware of it, but that was obviously what he was doing. Yeah. And I got to the point after about six months where I just didn't even want to have the conversations anymore. We made mm-hmm. no headway whatsoever. And I think the hard thing that we kind of grappled with every week was, yes, those things are true, and the trail that you have to go walk back down is also true. Both of these are true. So go back to a person like that. How would you have helped them in that journey? Well, you know, let's, the, I think the first thing to say is like, let's, let's honor that path for people because when people have that kind of early developmental trauma, very common consequence of that is really um, the struggle to uh, emotionally regulate. So you're often mm-hmm. overwhelmed emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so I often think about spiritual bypass as um, a bit of a crutch. And we never just, you know, if, if, you, if you literally think about somebody walking on crutches, you're not going to go up and kick the crutches out from under them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You, you can't be, um, you know, when I, when I first started working in this, in this area, I thought, oh, spiritual bypass, this is bad. We got to go attack this, right? We got we gotta, mm-hmm. we gotta, we gotta to yank those crutches away. Well, when you yank crutches away, people fall down. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, so mm-hmm. I think there's a... Um, I, I think the way that I, I really have kind of grown to think about this is it depends on the individual, right? If it's a, if mm-hmm. it's a friendship and how, what's the depth of the friendship, what can I confront, what can I not? But as a counselor, as a professional counselor, when I sit in the counseling room, I am um, bound to uphold an ethical principle of autonomy, which says you can live in the world however you want to live in the world. It's not my job mm-hmm. to decide how you live in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And so my way of approaching that is to say, is not to say, oh, no, 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 this is not a spiritual problem. You can't be up there at 15,000 feet. You got to get down here on the trail. It's to say, what if we spend some time on the trail and what if we spend some time at 15,000 feet? What if we make this an and, not an or? And Mm -hmm. that makes it a little more palatable for some people. Now, some people will know they're going to stay at 15,000 feet. You can go down there and walk on the trail if you want, but they're not going down there. And that's just a reality for some people. That's where they are. And, and for the enthusiastic, 
just as you're saying that, there's a danger that's popping up in my head, which is that his 15,000 feet answers, I believe, were deeply true. Yeah. And so undermining those just causes yet a new trauma of faith confusion yeah. <laughs> in yeah, their yeah. life. Yes. So there, there has to be an and because the or takes away some of those anchors they need to get back to that hold them to the real work. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Like I, I once said in a training, I had this idea come to me and I said, you know, if it's if it's psychologically harmful, it can't be theologically true, right? And I thought, oh, damn, that's good. That is good. It, until I thought about it. And then it was not good. Because it's not good. No, I a, hate it. A lot of the... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you agree with me. <laughs> so, but, but the point is like, you know, when people told me my dad was in a better place, that was not theologically unsound for me, but it was right. harmful, but it hurt, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think you're onto something really big there. It's not that it's necessarily theologically un unsound, although, of course, we all have our own interpretations of what that would mean. Right. But um, yeah, I think that's I, I think that's right. I, th I think even with that, your dad's in a better place type of thing where somebody could say like, okay, here's theologically why I believe it's true. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think there's a middle... I'm feeling like there's a middle between if it's psychologically harmful, it can't be theologically true. I I kind of feel like if it's psychologically harmful, it can't be theologically complete. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Because I, I think like the deeper... The Is that your dog? That's funny. Sorry. I'm like there's a dog That's scratching dog. himself. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that. Hi, Lucy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the idea of it, it is true he's in a better place, but the more complete truth is there is a time to grieve. Yes. And and there's plenty of theology around grief. And so when we ignore the complete aspect of that and just focus on one proof-texted theological truth, mm -hmm. then it becomes psychologically hurtful. Yeah, yeah. And when I think, uh, so I agree with all of that. So I, I want to add one piece to that, which is when that primary function is around avoiding something. And it's the grief mm -hmm. in this case, right? Like, let's try to shortcut your grief, which we know there's not, that doesn't work, right? Like psychologically, mm -hmm. that doesn't work. You have to work through process and integrate your grief before you can, um, you know, be whole to borrow your word. Um, and I'd say, yeah, I like that. Nate, you can speak to this with your emotional religious upbringing where positive emotions and we're all Positive, oh, because I remember, I remember the Sunday after my mother's funeral, I mean, I'm 10 years old and uh, we are not going to be sad. We're going to sing. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart and we're going to clap and we're going to smile. And it's our duty to smile because she's in a better place. And, yeah. the, and the idea is because that makes God look good. Yeah, if we right. don't get hurt, if we're just happy, no matter what, people will say, I want that God, which is the biggest load of bullshit the church has ever shoveled in the face of the world who is dying to know, is there something deep and true that is in my grief? That mm. I mean, that is basically the biggest proof of how spiritual bypass is silly. It's just silly, and everybody feels it's silly. But then when you get in a community that pushes it and shames you if That's you don't true. feel it, then all of a sudden you have to fake it. Because nobody mm. that was singing that stupid song at your mother's funeral felt mm. like well, that. Yeah, it was the day after, but yeah. The day, but oh, we're well. just going to put it in the past, yeah. Yeah, it's in, yeah. The, pa it's in the past, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. it's in the past. Um, now, you've written extensively about spiritual bypass. You've also written about spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. um, I live in the world of addiction and recovery, so I'm a recovering porn and sex addict. Uh, Samson Society is a society of... Mutual Aid Society for Christian Men, most of us uh, survivors uh, of some kind of an addictive behavior. Um, I sometimes hear, and I sometimes wonder whether it's true, that Christians are especially prone to addiction or that religious abuse sets uh, can set us up for addiction. Is there, Do you see a correlation between spiritual abuse and the development of addictions or spirit. Uh, 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 anyway, I, yeah, I'm not sure yeah. what I'm asking. I'm just kind of opening a door and saying, yeah. what do you see from here? Well, I think, yeah, anytime there's, anytime there's, you know, and, and we're still trying to figure out what to call it, right? So religious harm, religious abuse, religious trauma, 
Yeah. Um, anytime those kinds of things happen, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I would tell you that from my personal vantage point, telling a 10-year-old kid to smile and sing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart is, is abusive. Yes. Um, now, whether it's traumatizing is, is another issue because trauma is actually our experience to that thing that happens to us, right? And so, right, sure, sure. so that's a little different. But, um, you know, when we have those kinds of, of negative experiences, yeah, they impact us, right? And so mm-hmm. particularly when, when we have um, a lot of developmental trauma, I mean, Tim's very young to lose a parent. Um, mm-hmm. and so how that impacted you, how that affected you, like if, if we were in therapy together, I'd be wondering about that, right? Like what were those messages? Could you feel anything other than the joy, 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 joy down right. in my heart? Yeah. Yeah. How did yeah. that affect you in terms of emotion regulation? Because we all feel like crap some days, you know, we feel, sure. we feel angry, we feel sad, we feel scared, we feel anxious, we feel depressed. We, we're just, we're all on the hot mess express, but the church doesn't let that happen. Right. Right. That's just the human condition as best I can tell. It's just what's our version of that? What's our version Mm -hmm. of that? So when you're when you're consistently given messages, you can't it's not okay to feel these things. You got to suppress that. You got to stuff that. You know, Jung said a great thing, you know, almost 100 years ago. Now he said, what you resist persists. Mm -hmm. And so if you're trying to stuff your anxiety, if you're trying to stuff your depression, it's it's going to want expression. It's going to be fighting for ways to leak out. So, you know, Jung talked about the shadow. Now we talk about parts, you know, we talk about we all have multiple personalities. We have a sad part, mm-hmm. we have an angry part, we have whatever. But yeah, I mean, at some point you have to figure out how to how to survive and how to cope with the, with being on the hot mess express, but going to church where everybody's fine and, and blessed and highly favored, but you're not, you know, you're not. So we compare mm-hmm. our insides to other people's outsides and, and all of those addictive kinds of you know, substances, sure, but also processes, behaviors. Yeah, they're absolutely a way to cope. Let me, mm-hmm. let me jump back to something you said, and I promise, Nate, it's going to circle back around to the question okay. you asked. You said that that trauma is what someone experiences. So here's the fact of what they experienced it, but how they perceive it then and later is what the trauma is. Yeah. And that is huge for a couple reasons. One as trauma has become a thing that is talked about more and more, I I find conversations centering around objective things, like mm-hmm. your dad ignored you in this way, and therefore it was traumatic, mm-hmm. which it might not have been traumatic to that person, but because we've objectified it into the data of a situation, we'll just scrape it and scrape it and scrape it until we create the scar that was never there mm-hmm. in an adult. Mm-hmm. And that's always made me really uncomfortable, and I love the way you just phrased that. Um, but as it comes to church, I think it gives license for a lot of grace towards ourself. I, I immediately thought of a sermon I once preached on Jonah. I was doing a series on Jonah. It was the first week a woman came that had suffered incredible abuse, and she came up to me afterwards furious. That I and she had, hadn't been swallowed. She hadn't been swallowed by a whale, had she, or anything like that. No, I can't even joke about this person. It, she had okay, the most sir, tragic life I think I have ever known. And okay. she came up to me and was furious at me. How dare you preach a whole sermon to this building full of people simply accusing me? She deeply believed the whole sermon was me condemning her. And I couldn't even figure out what, how it even related. However, was that traumatic for her? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, my guess, yeah, absolutely. My guess would be uh, that you triggered something, who knows what, but it was right. from out of her past. It was unhealed. And yeah, so she but, was triggered but, and yeah, not thinking but, logically because it didn't make any sense to you. Well, and, and that's all fine, but it gives so much permission for her to accept that experience that yeah. she had. Yeah. And to deal with it, it doesn't matter if I'm the center of it. That's not really the point. But I think that there could be very well-meaning people that if they were put before the religious court of law could get off the hook as not doing something abusive towards them, and yet we might have experienced it in ways that still need to be dealt with it as if it was as abusive or traumatic as anything else. And we need to allow that in ourselves or else, again, 
we're just going to be like, can they get it off, get off on it with a technicality? Well, then I'm not allowed to feel this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see mm-hmm. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So there's, gosh, there's so much in what you're asking there. Like, so, so we we've sort of learned, um, like the 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 adult who grew up in a family where they were neglected by their parents, right? We call mm-hmm. that an adverse childhood experience or an ACE. Right. And so that's the thing that happened, right? That's the thing out there that happened. And it matters. We know like, you know, as people get have more adverse childhood experiences, different types of adverse childhood experiences, they have more health problems, they have more mental health problems, they don't live as long. I mean, it matters, right? So that, that those things that happen matter. Those external things that happen matter. But whether it becomes a trauma, whether it becomes something that is so overwhelming to our system that we can't integrate it and metabolize it, because the reality is that for many people, have, many people have what we would could label as obje- as traumatic experiences, but they metabolize the, the trauma, they process it. And in mm-hmm. about 30 days or so, they're kind of fine. 30 to 45 days, they're fine. But mm-hmm. when the system has um, what we call complex trauma, which is a lot of different experiences at the hands of different perpetrators and often starting very early, right? Mm-hmm. That developmental complex trauma, that's when people really struggle. Like they get in, they, as they get over into adolescence, adulthood, they struggle to emotionally regulate. They have a lot of negative self-talk. They've come to believe some some the stories they've been told about themselves that formed out of all those experiences, which are usually, I'm going to be abandoned. I'm not enough. Um, I'm mm-hmm. I'm not worthy of anything. I don't deserve good things to happen to me. I mean, just the negative kinds of, and they've just become scripts for people, right? Schemas, and they live their lives under those. Under those in those conditions, yeah, we're seeing, you know, we see a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of addiction, and there's trauma underneath it, right? So if you can't, if you don't treat the trauma, they're not going to get relief from the anxiety, from the depression, from the addiction. They're going to, they're going to, often people with a lot of complex developmental trauma, they don't get trauma treatment, they're not going to get sober. Um, because mm-hmm. the pain, when the pain gets bad enough, you will medicate it, right? Anybody, any of us, right? If the pain gets bad mm-hmm. enough, we'll medicate it. So, yeah, understanding all of that and the complexity of all of that, what you're describing, what I would say you're describing is what in the, in the trauma field we call source attribution error, which is this, this person was convinced that you had personally attacked them and were going after them and everything that they were, like as if you knew their whole biography, right? Well, what you did was you triggered something from the past and they don't know it. Right? They're not aware that you're actually lighting something up from their past. It feels because it feels very alive to them, right? Like their their brain is firing mm-hmm. a danger, a threat right here in this environment, and you're the SOB that did it. And so now they're in a fight mode, right? Fight, yeah. flight, freeze. They're, they're coming after. They're coming after you. They're they're amygdalaing all over my ass. Boom, <laughs> boom. You are you are you are getting nothing but midbrain at that point. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's uh, again. I'm thinking personal grace for ourselves, but also yeah. listening to other people's story and not filtering it through my own, Yeah, that what they have experienced, I might have experienced something similar and feel very differently, Yes, but I can still listen to what their experience is and more importantly, how they are perceiving and emotionally feeling about that without having to talk them out of it because of how I experienced it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the counseling world, what happens sometimes is is people will sort of want to minimize what happened to them. They'll compare themselves to other people who had it worse, right? Well, if this yeah. idea that trauma right. is an internal experience, then that doesn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. But what people will eventually kind of drill down to is they'll start to talk about the things that happened to them. And what's fascinating in counseling then is when you say, well, okay, so... Um, so, um, you know, Nate, when you were 10 years old, this thing happened in your church mm-hmm. and you were told, you know, very next day you were told, da, 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 da. I would say, I, I wonder how that affected you. And you can mm-hmm. see people, you know, you've done your recovery work, Nate, so I'm sure you have, you have some thoughts about yeah. that. But for a lot of people, they're just like, whoa, like I've never thought that that happened, but how did it affect me? And yeah, there's a yeah. disconnect between the negative self-talk, the inability to be angry or fearful or mm-hmm. sad, or yeah. you know, they, they don't yeah. make those... So in therapy, what we can sometimes do is help people start to make those connections. And so even people in spiritual bypass can start to see the psychological pieces of this. And maybe mm-hmm. that starts to get a little bit of traction again. It's the and, not the or. So. Mm-hmm. All right, I want to try something. 
Uh oh. It might not work at all. And <laughs> Nate, you're going to have to help me. I should have written this down because I'll run out of examples. I want to rapid fire. What are some of the most common things that we try to use religion, spirituality, theology to bypass? And what are some things, and this is where we're going to get very reductionist and it's not going to be fair. And Craig, this is impossible for a person as smart as you, but we're going to try anyways. Let's start with where you guys began and we keep circling back to your story, Nate. Grief is an example of a common right. thing that people will try to spiritually bypass. Right. So what is something helpful for me to remember or recognize that brings me back down to it's safe to be on this journey and not avoid it? So grief, what's something helpful to just, in general, help more me to the actual reality of that feeling? Is that a Nate question or a Craig question? Oh, I'll take anybody. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's a fairly impossible question because it's general. Obviously, this won't be for everybody, but this will just be some examples. So grief, something we feel that we'll try to spiritually bypass, but hey, maybe we can remember what? Well, for, for me, like I, I, I always want to find out what a person, if, if they have, um, uh, you know, if presumably they have some uh, faith tradition that they adhere to. Mm -hmm. I want to know what what the teachings are around it, what the real teachings are around that, right? Mm -hmm. So um, while there, you can um, while you can cherry pick scriptures, for example, out of um, Christian sacred texts that say, you know, be not afraid or uh, be yeah. slow to anger, that kind of thing. We yeah. also we also see examples of in Christianity, for example, the teacher tossing tables, um, right, right, right. weeping over the death of a friend. Uh, praying mm -hmm. in a garden, like uh, my interpretation is, I'm scared, like mm -hmm. I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, what we do is we we do to whatever extent we can. Now, as a as a sort of a technically, I'm a um, a secular therapist. You know, I I also will reach out to clergy and say, hey, what's the me what's your messaging in your church around this? You know, I get obviously mm -hmm. I have to get signed releases to do that, but I'll talk to. And if the clergy says, oh yeah, you got to you got to be in your grief, you got to feel sad, you can get angry at God, you can do all that. I want mm -hmm. them talking to one another, right? If they're a resource, because they're a spiritual authority that I'm not. Okay. Um, so I'm going to, but, but, but I've also made those calls and had them say, well, he needs to put it in the past and saying, I've got the joy, joy, joy. And I don't link them, right? Yeah, if they, if right. they do, they do something on their own, that's fine. But I don't try to encourage that link because to me, that's mm -hmm. not the psychological message that they need to hear. So what's, so, an, what's another common experience that we tend to just reactively well, say, Oh, what were you going to say? Well, if I, if I can step into grief for a little bit. You yeah. Know, I mean, obviously, based on my story, you know, I, I, I didn't cry at my mother's funeral. It was very clear that was not allowed. You couldn't be a Christian and cry at the funeral. And the next day you had to sing and clap. So grief, sadness, always been very, very difficult. for me. I'll tell you what has been very, very helpful. It's been very, very helpful to sit with an empathetic therapist who can cry for me and with me and kind of lead the way into the grief and say, this is what I feel when I hear your story. And I have found myself moving into grief, but somebody else is kind of, kind of leading my <laughs> leading mm -hmm. the way through that emotion. Okay. Another emotion I was not allowed as a kid was anger. Well, uh, can we just say that, man, if, if we get good at being friends, you don't need a therapist for that. Right, but how, right, beautif yeah. how beautiful it is when, I mean, you said it great, when somebody else feels for you the thing that you're still trying to figure out how to feel, but to see it yeah. on the face of another, that's so beautiful. Okay, oh, go ahead. Yeah. The, the other emotion yeah, yeah, you were yeah. saying. Yeah, anger, anger. Okay. You know, yeah, if you're not allowed to be angry, if a Christian can't be angry, obviously. Uh, I, I, you know, as, as you said, Craig, the teacher... Uh, Got pissed off a couple times. What, but uh, what does spiritually bypassing anger look like? Um, you you say through gritted teeth that you're not angry. I'm not angry, right? So, um, mm -hmm. but you just deny it. You just say I'm yeah. not angry because you know the, the we're supposed to be slow to anger. So I'm not angry, but you are angry, right? Mm -hmm. We also see a lot of um, what we call pseudo forgiveness work, right? That's another yeah. form that this takes, where it's like, oh, I've forgiven them. I've forgiven that SOB, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. heck yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting a lot of, okay, what about being nuanced? Is, is that a way of spiritual? But I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. I'm just annoyed. <laughs> so I'll pick words that feel like 
They're lower level. I'm not raging. Mm-hmm. I'm seething. And mm-hmm. so I'm not angry. Right. Yeah, you're you're not angry on the outside, but on the inside, it sounds kind of sounds like you are a little bit. And that's okay. Yeah. You know what I heard that was so beautiful and what Nate was saying earlier was the, you know, this capacity to really feel empathy for other people and give them permission to do this natural process, right? Which means mm-hmm. it's natural to be angry from time to time. It's mm-hmm. absolutely natural to, to grieve the death of a parent at 10 years old, right? And to, mm-hmm. to be super sad and to go through all kinds of stuff in that. So that may be the most important thing that we can do to help people is just like, it's okay to do that stuff, right? So, it's okay mm-hmm. to feel these feelings. We, I hate when people say good feelings and bad feelings because it's like, right. well, yeah, yeah, joy's great. I love it. But, you know, a good cry is pretty damn good too. And uh, it feels good to get that anger out sometimes. And, you know, when I'm scared, I can reach out to my loved ones and say, you know what, I need some support because I'm scared. So it's the ability to feel those things that let us know what we need in the world, right? And many of us grew up in, 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 in having need shame where we couldn't ask for what we need. And we have to learn that too. But that's oh, yeah. that's a conversation the, for another day. The, so. the word, need shame. Oh, I love the phrase. Uh, it's, a, it's so true. But the word that I'm not hearing uh, good and bad, I'm hearing those. The word I'm not hearing is right. Mm-hmm. And when I think of both grief and anger, as it has been described, when I think of your experience with your mother, the underlying message is it's wrong to feel this. Mm-hmm. And that the the tie that I'm hearing to get us grounded back to it's okay to not bypass this is I have to believe it's right. It's okay. In fact, in many cases, it would be wrong for me not to be angry with certain things. Uh, yeah. And I say that in terms, I know, I just watched your eyes, Craig. Oh, man, I got it. I got it. But let me give you the, for example, because we're not wronging. We'll try. I'll try not to. You can fix it. If I'm looking at a person abusing a child, it doesn't mean that my anger that it would be right to beat that person up or rage against them, whatever. But the feeling of there's an injustice happening and the rise of anger is right. For me not to have that should, if we're going to take away the word wrong, should make me question what's going on with myself that I don't care about this injustice. This is showing something about me because it is natural and and good to see injustice and have a sense of outrage slash anger. I got in so much trouble for saying wrong just then. I love I love that you're just so your face is good. Your face <laughs> is good. Okay, clean clean all that up. Uh, you know, gosh, there's so much there. So so for example, like I think I think we have to um uh so we always, as a, as a therapist, for example, I always want to validate what's right in front of me. So what are you feeling right now? Okay, well, I want to validate that. But what mm-hmm. we know about emotions in particular is that there are like, there's, a con- there's often like a constellation of emotions, right? So the example I use is a guy cuts me off 75 miles an hour on the interstate. I almost ha- die in a fiery car crash. My, my frontal lobe wants to be scared, right? Like, oh, that was scary. I almost died. But what I do is I scream profanities and shoot metal fingers at this guy because my anger is protective. See, mm-hmm. perfect example. It would be wrong to not be angry. And, <laughs> wait, is that not what you're saying? <laughs> it's, it's normal to be angry, but here's the thing. Underneath the anger mm, is fear. Is fear, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so what happens when we're told that we can't feel these things is we feel other things that are acceptable. Um, okay. And so there's a lot of gendered stuff here where, where male identified people can feel anger, but they can't feel fear because you get, need to man up, right? And, mm-hmm. and religion, religion reinforces that sometimes, unfortunately. Women are told they can't be angry, right? And so they can cry at the drop of a hat. Obviously, I'm stereotyping a little bit here, but these, yeah. are, these, are, you know, these are gender yeah. trends. Common. Yeah, and the right. messages that we get in our families, and there's variation in it and all that. But the reality is we can all be angry. We can all be scared. We can all be sad. We can all feel shame. And, um, and, and I, I really appreciate the way you're framing it um, in terms of th- that word wrong, right? If we're given messages that these feelings are wrong, these emotions are wrong, then we try not, we'll, we'll, we won't feel them, right? We can shut them down. We can feel other things instead, or 
we can drink or use or look at pornography or game or gamble or whatever because it numbs out those feelings that we're not allowed to feel, but that we do feel because we're human. Um, so I think, uh, I think, you know, for me, it's, it's a little bit like, I always see a river, like just a river flowing, right? That's what our emotions are meant to be like, right? All mm-hmm. of them, all of them. They're just meant to flow. We feel these things, right? They, they, they come and they go. And, um, so, um, but that's not the world that most of us grow up in. It's not, it's not all religion. It's certainly families and schools and lots of institutions give us lots of messaging about, um, mm-hmm. about our emotions, about our sexuality, about our, you know, all of those things. So we're, we're constantly being barded with these kinds of messages and some of them get in and become our truths. And that's, that's the I, issue. I think that's what's helpful about these conversations because I think every generation has its own vocabulary, but the, the derogatory gendered aspect of emotions is huge for us all. If yeah. you were sad or melancholy well, then in my generation, you'd be called a pussy. Well, okay, mm-hmm. you're now using a term for women's genitals saying you're a girl. And if you're a woman who's angry, if you're a girl who's angry, you're a bitch. Mm-hmm. And these types of words, I mean, they exist in our childhoods and they separate these emotions where we feel like, oh, I'm not supposed to be complete in the range of emotions. Man, I think it's good for people to hear that and go, oh, yeah, I guess that was a, a part of that in, yeah, in yeah. very strange ways. Mm-hmm. Guys who are pursuing yeah. pornography in piles of homeless people's trash because they like vaginas so much use that word as a negative thing. That makes no sense at all. And yet <laughs> that's what's introduced to the hearts of young boys and girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's well said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm watching the clock. I cannot believe we've already been speaking for more than 40 minutes. The time has certainly flown. Ooh, can, uh, can I ask one more thing before you wrap up? Of course. We're not going Go anywhere else. It's only 41 minutes. Come on. Okay. Clearly, we've been focusing on how bypassing our emotions, our traumas, our journeys, how that is, how that negatively affects us. But I think... Tell me a little bit about how, if I do not address and learn to understand how I'm spiritually bypassing things, how does that affect my relationships, especially with my spouse and children? Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a great question. Boy, that's complex. That's a tough one for the 41-minute mark, but I'll, I'll take a swing at it. Um, so, you know, what we see in, in couples counseling routinely is this very— um, it's not intuitive for people, right? We, we sort of want to present ourselves to our partner in these favorable lights, and spiritual bypass can encourage that, right? We want to be perceived as this deeply spiritual person and, you know, spiritually mature and those kinds of things. But, you know, in our interactions, our, our psychological wounding inevitably, you know, we, we throw salt on each other's wounds in partnerships. Um, and, you know, if, if you don't have a wound and I toss a few, few grains of salt at you, it's just like it bounces off of you, right? It doesn't do any harm. But if you've got an open wound and I throw a little salt at it, so you've got abandonment stuff, I've got inadequacy stuff, and I keep pulling away from you because I feel like I'm not enough, but that leaves you feeling abandoned. So you attack me for not for pulling away. And then I, now I feel really more adequate. And now our psychological stuff is just, we're just bleeding each other out with this thing. And, the, and the, the money in couples counseling, where it really comes down to is that ability to touch that part of you that's wounded and to know it yourself, but to also let your partner know it so that they can understand why you get reactive when they go to bed before you do or when they, you know, they don't tell you they're, they're going to work late or what, you know, these things that are triggers for old wounds, right? And so um, spiritual bypass is another way that we keep from being real with ourselves. And, and so we can't be real with our partners if we're not real with ourselves. And so the counterintuitive thing is like when I tell my partner, hey, I've got this inadequacy stuff that's getting activated right now. And I want to, for all the world, I want to pull away from you right now. But I know that triggers your abandonment stuff. And I love you more than anything in the world. I'm hanging in there the best I can. It is the greatest aphrodisiac in the universe. I mean, it just, mm. the oxytocin flows. We love each other. So there's, there's this connection that happens in the vulnerability that can't happen in, in the presence of bypass on one person or both people's parts because you can't be whole. You can't be real. You can't be complete wow. in the relationship. 
And so I honestly, I think that's kind of the premise of the 12 steps, right? Is that we mm-hmm. get real and we get real with ourselves and then we get real with other people, uh, but you mm-hmm. know, people in the program, but also people that we've harmed in doing our men's work. And I, I think that's just a beautiful truth that gets lost sometimes that, you know, we're only, there's a great line. You probably heard it in, in the children's book, the Velveteen Rabbit. Rabbit. You, once, once you're real, you cannot be ugly except to people who do not understand. That's so mm. good. And that's like, that's what we're talking about here is, is, is mm. to be real. What does it mean to be real, to be complete, to be whole? So that so. understanding, because I am such a reductionist person, I'm hearing two tools that are absolutely required for that kind of aphrodisiac, aphrodisialistic awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that is, to understand means my my relational journey with my children or spouse or anybody else is self-awareness and them-awareness, understanding that if I don't understand myself and I don't understand them, this is a non-starter. And then I have to develop a vocabulary that is shared for those moments of awareness. That if I don't have both of those, that's never going to happen, ever. Yeah, I would say if the vocabulary is incomplete, just leaning into it in the messy ways is fine, right? Like not being able to say it well is perfectly okay, mm-hmm. but at least you're yeah. leaning into it and owning it, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and the vocabulary will come as you work together as, as right. it's kids or parents or partners or whatever. That, yeah. that is yeah. totally yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah. The vocabulary will not come yeah. fully yeah. formed, but along the way, yeah. yes, but, yeah. but it has to be, okay, this is the work of understanding myself and understanding mm-hmm. you. And, 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 and what I what stuck out to me and what Craig said is the courage to be vulnerable. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Dr. Cashwell, thank you so very much for spending time. Is there an easy way for uh, our listeners to find your materials online? I know you write uh, to a great deal for the professional community, but your stuff, I imagine, is also accessible to those of us who don't make our living uh, in the counseling world, what's the best way for people to find your stuff? Yeah, so I've got a, um, I've got a, a university faculty page. If you just Google me and um, mm-hmm. go to the William & Mary page, my, my faculty bio's there. There's a link to my um, curriculum vita there. You can, you can look at the work. And then, of course, okay. if you wanted to, to access any of that, yeah. How do you spell mm-hmm. your last name? Just like it sounds, Cash and Well. So my, oh, my, 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 my dad was named Johnny, so he was Johnny Cash. Well. Oh, wow. That's good. That's, that's just. That good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's like I'm Johnny Cash, but a little better. Yeah. It's kind of even cooler, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, all right. Well, that's it uh, for uh, this section. But listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. I got to tell you, this spiritual bypassing uh, idea is something that has been such a part of my life personally and with other people forever, and it just was not addressed. Do you, do you know one of my favorite things I read about when I was researching this? The What's phrase, it? toxic positivity. <laughs> I love oh, that. Oh, man. Have you? I'll tell you what. Have you ever been around that that manically smiling, ridiculously happy person who just never lets that smile? Uh, I feel so unsafe around those people. Oh, see, that's great. You feel unsafe. I want to kick them in the nuts and see if they're still smiling. <clears throat> I, I go. To, I go to violence. You just go to something like you know withdrawn. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. When you when you said that, I was sure you were going to give an anger response. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm still reclaiming my anger. I just, I just. <laughs> but yes, the the answer is yes. I I do. I, I geez, two people just popped into my head that I remember the first times I met them, and I just immediately thought, I don't believe you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in some ways, that was unfair to both of them mm-hmm. because they yeah. really were 
quite vivacious people. Right, right, but right. then the farther down the road I got with real vulnerability, it was, mm-hmm. oh, but there is more here we need to talk about. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I'm certainly familiar with, uh, yeah, with the, the, the you know, the, I just hadn't heard the name before. Yeah. The term spiritual bypass. I knew exactly what it meant when I heard it. Um. Uh, and uh, I almost feel as though during some of my growing up years, uh, it was sold really as a virtue. That was a good thing just to bypass the trouble, the troubling stuff, you know, take the high road, uh, you know, think heavenly thoughts. Bypassing was something good to do. This is super generational, though, as well. Mm-hmm. Because when I think of family members and friends I've had that are in their 70s and 80s, and we try to talk about childhood stuff that to me mm-hmm. is like, what? This is a crazy story. And they're mm-hmm. like, why would I go back to that? Like, it was not a part of their generation to go be super yeah. introspective about that. And then yeah. I'm like in the middle generation. Mm-hmm. The ones after me had social media where it was an overfocus on all of that. Oh, sure, so, yeah. So one generation on one side of me had incredible discipline, but very little personal insight. Mm-hmm. The other had tons of insights and very little discipline. Oh, yeah. Well, and I, I, you just watch this pendulum swing where it's like, okay, there's something in the middle. I still have to know how to live while I do this journey. That's the mm-hmm. disciplined part of the other generation that just bypassed everything. Yeah, right, right, right. So I want to know, how can I engage this, but I don't make it my whole world? Yes. I want to mm-hmm. engage my story, but I don't want my story. Now, this is so dangerous because people's stories do control them already while they don't acknowledge mm-hmm. it. So you have to mm-hmm. be so careful. And if Craig was here, he would have made a face where I was about to go with this. And he makes subtle faces, very subtle. It's all in his eyes. So acknowledging that, but I want to be able to do my work without my work being the thing that leads every practical thing in my life. I want to come to feel like I have some agency in my life. You want to be able to write your story as well as read it. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and yeah, that's and that's and it's tricky. Yeah. And and again that's such a personal question because each mm-hmm. person deals with that differently that I don't think there can be any general and you ought to do it like this. I, I don't yeah. I don't think there is that. But I think people I know feel that too in their own ways. Yeah. I want to do yeah. this work but I don't want this work to be the ultimate definition of my identity and everything about my life. I want my life to become richer because of the work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Me too. And that's why we'll have more podcasts because it just ain't simple. (laughs) Well, uh, this has been a a good conversation before we go. Let's remind our listeners that uh, we do treasure feedback and you can always uh, reach us at, Pirate Monk Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, I don't know, what else do we need to tell them before we say goodbye? Well, make sure that you're checking in with upcoming retreats, both the annual retreat that I'm sure will be coming up when this is posted in mm-hmm. at the beginning of November in Texas. Uh, that is going to be so exciting at Sky Ranch, right? I'm mm-hmm. right about that. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, what that's what's right. called. Yeah. In Texas. I've, seen, I've seen pictures. And then also, mm-hmm. Keep looking uh, at at Slack and other places for regional retreats. We have one. Uh, well, I don't know when this is going up, but there's one in Colorado um, mm-hmm. and, and others that might be within driving distance to you to have a good yeah. 48 hours with some folks face to face. And it won't be long before we will have geared up at the harbor. Work is uh, moving apace to get that place ready. Uh, so, yeah. And I'm hoping by the time this goes out, there will be a list of opportunities to come and hang out with us for a weekend at the harbor. Okay. 
So, and you'll find those by going to uh, SampsonHouse.org or the SampsonSociety.org. And I, what's the Harbor website, Aaron? I've forgotten it. Uh, I can't believe you're asking. It's SampsonHarbor.com, isn't it? I, I think I'll just keep talking. I'll look it up right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I do believe that uh, Aaron Schwind has uh, created. Uh, yes, SampsonHarbor.com. Okay, wonderful. And we will be putting up timely information at SampsonHarbor.com. Okay, well, that's it for this this week. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Aaron. And we are your pals of the Pirate Book Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. <laughs>